And I'm so glad that you're here. It's great to be together as a family, isn't it? Wonderful time that we can have together. Thank you so much for coming this morning. The work of Jesus on the cross is something that we should never, ever forget. His suffering, His body, and His blood given for us. We were bought with a price, redeemed by the eternal love of God, and set free from our sins. So this morning, while we remember once again what Christ has done for us, we rejoice and celebrate that we have been miraculously and powerfully saved. As individuals destined and deserving of eternal separation from God, we have been brought or bought uh, to life uh, through the sacrifice of our precious, precious Savior. His death, burial, and resurrection have made it all possible. Now, can I get an amen and a hallelujah? <laughs> right? If there's something that's worth celebrating, it's this. And so it's so good to have you here. I hope that our time together will be something that will be encouraging to you, but also equip you and charge you up to serve the Lord more effectively this week. I want to start our time with some reading of some familiar scriptures from John chapter 3 and John chapter 5 and John chapter 1. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Each time we participate in the Lord's Supper or communion, we take a look at two things. The body of Christ given for us as the eternal sacrifice for our sins, and the blood of Christ, which cleanses us from all our sin. In the Old Testament, in the prophetic words of Isaiah chapter 9, we hear these words. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. 
He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so we see the fulfillment of this amazing statement in the gospel narrative as we read about the birth of Jesus in Matthew and Luke and in John. And as well as later in the book of Galatians, as we hear these words. But in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So Jesus came. He was born. He had a body, but not just any body, but a perfect, sinless one. He lived here and ministered to many. And ultimately, it is the sacrifice of that body for us that we stand in awe of this morning and in abject humble praise and thanks for being our perfect and sinless substitute on the cross of Calvary. Listen to these words from Hebrews chapter 10 and 1 Peter chapter 2. Then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first and established the second. And by that will, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. As we enter this time this morning, uh, this ceremony, this celebration is really for the believer, for the person that has placed their faith and trust in Christ for their eternal salvation and for the forgiveness of their sins. If you're here this morning and you have not done that, we're, we're really glad you're here <laughs> because it would be our joy and desire to show you how you can know this Savior that we'll be speaking of this morning. But for those of us who are believers, this is also a time for us to really take a look at our own hearts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're reminded that we need to examine ourselves when we come to a time like this. We need to be sure that we're right before God and with other people. And so we're going to take a few moments right now uh, for you to do just that, to go to prayer. Jackie's going to begin to play at the keyboard, and we're going to give you a minute or so to just pray, ask for God's uh, just direction in this time. And then while she's playing, and as we begin to sing together the very song that she's playing, we would like for you to come up, and our deacons, if you'll come right now, Uh, to the tables where you're going to be, and you will come and receive from the deacons uh, the elements for this morning's communion. But let's go to prayer as Jackie begins to play for us. Wow. Think about what you've just said. We can probably just leave now with that thought in our minds, but you'll have to put up with me for a couple more minutes. (laughs) Wow. The bread that you hold in your hand this morning is a representation or a symbol of Christ's body for us. It doesn't become Christ's body, but it simply is a symbol for us to remember his body given for us. We're reminded in 1 Corinthians by the Apostle Paul, for I received from the Lord what I also pass unto you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And he gave thanks. 
going to ask Mike Shaw if you'll come and pray for us in, in thanksgiving for the body of Christ. The second item we look at this morning is the blood of Christ and its extraordinary power for us. Now, you've just observed uh, some facts about the power of the blood that courses through our bodies. Uh, the study is amazing. Uh, those of you who are in the medical field, I sure understand this more deeply, and I've only given you just a little glimpse, a tiny glimpse this morning of the possibilities. What God has created in us to keep us alive is truly amazing. When you think of what the medical world can do and find out about us just through our blood, it's just astounding. But what about the blood of Christ is so significant? The New Testament epistle to the Hebrews builds a bridge from the Old Testament sacrificial system and its blood uh, to the new covenant of Jesus' once and for all sacrifice. And throughout the Bible, blood represents, as we know, life and the spilling of it on the opposite side and in turn depicts death. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, we read that the just penalty of human sin against God is death and separation from God. In the Old Testament, the death of sanctioned animal sacrifices through the presentation of their blood stood in temporarily uh, for the requirement of death for sinners. Yet as we know and as we read, the high priest had to go again and again every year, repeatedly, as we see described in Hebrews chapter 9. But in Hebrews chapter 10, we read this. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The repeated animal sacrifices were delaying the inevitable waiting of God's fullness of time. One day, a final reckoning would take place, and it did. This morning, as God's children, we really celebrate with the writer of Hebrews and the benefits Christians enjoy because of Jesus' blood being offered once and for all. So here are five biblical kinds of concepts or truths that remind us why the blood of Christ is so significant. Number one, propitiation, to remove God's righteous wrath. In Romans 3, the Apostle Paul writes this, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. Because God is just, the sins of his people are no small obstacle. In his kindness and grace, he has chosen to love us, and yet in his justice, he just cannot just sweep our sins away. So in his love, what does he do? He provides a way to satisfy justice and still triumph with his mercy. His own son takes on human flesh and blood and offers himself in the place of sinful people, receiving the just wrath of God and paying our penalty for death so that we might live. His blood then is significant because it is the sacrificial giving of his life in the place of those deserving of death that propitiates or satisfies God's wrath 
upholds His divine justice, and opens the floodgates of His mercy. Propitiation. Second, justification, to extend God's full acceptance. In Romans chapter 5, we read this, since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? Now, this word justified is kind of judicial and legal language, where the judge and jury makes a de- or, or jury make a de- declaration either righteous or condemned. The defendant is either guilty as charged or declared to be in right standing with the law, justified. And the reason Christ's blood is so significant and powerful for, for, for us is because of His sacrificial and substitutionary death. He willingly shed His own blood, not for His own sins because He didn't have any, but for ours, for our sin. Without His blood, our, righteous, our unrighteousness, our sin, our guilt would remain unaddressed. We could not stand with Him at the final judgment and receive with Him the Father's final declaration, righteous. Redemption, to purchase our true freedom. Ephesians 1 says, tells us, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And we know that to redeem means to buy something back or secure the freedom of someone who's in bondage. Because of our sins, we were all in spiritual captivity. We deserve the righteous wrath of God, but Christ, by shedding His blood, which forgives our sins before God, purchases our freedom from justice and from the power of Satan. It's beautiful verses in Colossians chapter 2. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross." One commentator and writer puts it this way, his name is David Mathis, the decisive weapon the demons had against us was unforgiven sin, but when Jesus spilled his own blood in our place to forgive our sins, he freed us from captivity. He redeemed us from Satan and the record of debt and legal demands against us. Forgiveness to restore our best relationship. Now, the concepts we are sharing this morning really do kind of overlap. We've already seen the importance of forgiveness, but I love what Ephesians chapter 2.13 says in driving home this truth. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. At the heart of this bringing near is the restoration of humanity with God, and it's really individual as well as corporate. On the individual level, it's the creation in Christ of a personal access and relationship with God that we could have never secured in our own sin and for ourselves. On a corporate level, it's the restoration in Christ of the relationship with God for which we were made for as a church. 
The phrase brought near by the blood of Christ gets at the heart of what each of these divine gifts of Jesus' blood uh, and does for us. It brings us to God. The best summary of all of this that I've seen and that can be an encouragement to us is found in 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Finally, reconciliation to make peace with God himself. Jesus' blood is significant and powerful in its peacemaking ability uh, between God and humanity. In Colossians chapter 1, we read, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It is the blood of his cross that makes peace between God and man. And he made peace, interestingly, with an instrument of intentional and horrific torture and destruction. And we know that Jesus did not shed his blood by accident. This was no random death. Tragic as it was, it was deliberate and voluntary for us. In propitiation, Jesus took on the righteous wrath of God and took our place. In justification, Jesus granted us his full legal acceptance. In redemption, Jesus purchased our true freedom. In forgiveness, Jesus restored our most important relationship. And in reconciliation, Jesus made peace for us with God himself. All from the heart of a loving and precious Savior. Amen? Amen. Well, this cup that you have in front of you and in your hands this morning is, again, a representation or a symbol of the blood of Christ that was given for us and that I've been speaking about this morning. Again, it's juice, it's not something that turns into the blood of Christ, but it's a representation for us to remember His blood. Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're reminded by the Apostle Paul that in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. I'm going to ask Dan Tarr if he'll come and pray for a prayer of thanksgiving for the blood of Christ. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 11 that Christ said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Paul goes on in this passage to say, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The precious blood of Christ opened a sea of endless grace to be poured out into our lives. Now, that's a reason to be thankful, to celebrate and rejoice. As we close and then sing together, let me read for you the words from Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 that you've seen already this morning, but good for us to hear again. 
For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So, we rejoice and lift high our Savior who gave us His body, His precious and powerful blood, so that we could have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's sing about that great message and rejoice together.